Let us bow our heads in prayer. Let us pray. Almighty and eternal God, you who are one, though called by many names, we gather this morning, the fifth Sunday in Lent, to give you thanks for all your gifts. You've called us into being with the gift of life, and you continue to call us into being, into growth, into fullness of life as incarnations of your Holy Spirit. You've placed a spark of light within us, within the depths of our soul, and, and through Jesus of Nazareth, you have taught us how to nurture this precious light, how to keep it alive in the face of enveloping darkness. And you call us to share this precious spark of light in word and deed with others. God, remind us in this sacred season that you call us by name, you assure us that we are your children, that we are important to you, that we are an important part of your plan for life, and that you love us just as we are with all our human frailties and faults. You became flesh in Jesus to teach us how to live, to guide our thoughts, our feelings, our words and our actions, to guide our steps as we journey through the various seasons of life and the various seasons of our life. Like a loving parent, you catch us when we stumble and lift us up when we fall. And with infinite patience, no matter how many times we go astray, you, you set our feet on the path that you would have us walk. God, you call us to see life as it is, a spiritual journey. You call us to be disciples of the way, to be disciples of Jesus. You call us to build up the church, the body of Christ in the world. You're present to us in our moments of prayer and worship. You also walk with us in our daily life, and you call us to walk with you. God, teach us how to pray. Teach us how to pray as Jesus prayed. Help us in our prayer to distinguish that which we want from that which we truly need. Teach us how to pray, not only in words, but in the uprising of our heart, our spontaneous reaching out in feeling and care and compassion and love to those for whom we pray, and transform our prayer into presence, into action. God, we pray not only for others, for those in special need, but also for ourselves. We pray that you will bring strength and healing and growth to our minds, just as you do with our bodies. You call us to face the sometimes complex challenges of our time as Christians. When we take on the heart and mind of Jesus in response to our personal and our social problems, we bring a little piece of healing to a broken world. And we as individuals and as a church help our individual and collective life to evolve in accordance with your will. God, guide our steps as we move through the sacred liturgical season in preparation for Easter, for resurrection, for new life. Make us aware of your presence within us and among us as members of this little church. Make us aware of your presence, your incarnation within other people, in those who are near and dear to us, in the stranger, and in those who are in special need. 
these moments of silent prayer, we hold before you all whom we know to be in special need. We ask this our sanctuary prayer and our many prayers, both spoken and unspoken, in the spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ, who taught us when we pray to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our scripture lesson this morning is taken from the 21st chapter of the Gospel according to Matthew, the account of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. When they had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethphage, the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village ahead of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this, the Lord needs them, and he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet, saying, tell the daughter of Zion, look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. This ends our scripture lesson for this morning. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. In our worship this Lenten season, we've been focusing on the practice of giving up. As a 13th century German mystic, Meister Eckhart, whom we are coming to know better in our Tuesday afternoon spiritual study and growth group, has said, Spirituality is a matter of less, not more. Buddhism reminds us that suffering arises as a result of our attachments. In order to eliminate suffering in ourselves and in the world, we need to identify that which we grasp and learn to let this go. Because grasping inevitably leads to the desire for more control. And control is anathema to love. We need to identify and let go of anything that holds us back from the experience of new life in Christ. The egocentric stance that underlies all our attachments is the cause of our suffering and the suffering we inflict on others. Our self-centeredness 
needs to be replaced by God-centeredness. In the words of the Apostle Paul, we need to die to the old self to be reborn, to enter the new life that is offered to us by Christ and in Christ. The first week of Lent, we focused on giving up our illusions, specifically the illusion that we are without sin, because the denial of our shadow precludes our engaging in the psychological and spiritual discipline of honest self-reflection. The second week, we examined how our attachment to material possessions can come between us and our brothers and sisters can come between us and God, can gradually and insidiously become our meaning in life. The third week we looked at our obsession with the future, not only those negative expectations of the future that are the root cause of our anxiety, but even those imaginary goals and objectives that become the standards by which we judge ourselves and others. And last week, we looked at the way we treasure, the way we hold fast to our resentments, the hurts we have experienced in the past, and we looked at the role our resentments play in the way we see life and our life. Each of these barriers to living the fullness of life as a child of God is grounded in self-centeredness. The solution to each is to learn to let it go. Or as the Zen master Charlotte Joko Beck has suggested, to see through them. When we see how empty, how impermanent our attachments are, they fade away like a sandcastle in the face of a rising tide. This morning I'd like us to examine another barrier that can hold us back from the experience of new life in Christ. This is the barrier of our expectations, our expectations of other people, our expectations of God, our expectations of life, and our expectations of ourselves. I would like us to discover the ways in which our expectations can become a barrier between us and others, between us and God, between us and life, and between us and the fullness of life that God intends for us. What does it mean to have expectations? How do our expectations of others shape our experience of them? When are our expectations of others self-centered? How do we know if we have become attached to our expectations? How do we know whether our expectations are realistic or not realistic? How do we know whether they are healthy or not healthy? What is our response when others fail to meet or live up to our expectations? To expect is to look forward to, to anticipate, to regard as likely to happen. Expectations can be a beautiful part of life and our spiritual experience. Think of little children looking forward to Christmas morning. During the Advent season, we look forward with an attitude of expectancy to the birth of our Lord in the world and in our hearts. 
The Apostle Paul in his letter to the Philippians writes, It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in any way, but that by my speaking with all boldness, Christ will be exalted now as always in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul's eager expectation and hope was grounded in his faith that Christ's presence in him would help him face his persecutions, even his execution. This is probably how Jesus felt about God's presence in him as Jesus looked forward with a mix of expectation and dread to his last week on earth in human form as he rode on into Jerusalem to preach, to teach, and to die. Expectation is more than an anticipation of the future. It can be a central dimension of the spiritual gift of hope. Expectations can turn our gaze, our attention in a certain direction. However, our expectation may limit our experience of that which we seek. This insight was brilliantly articulated by Herman Hesse in his novel Siddhartha, which, by the way, is my favorite novel, specifically the translation by Sherard Chodin Kohn. Near the end of the novel, an elderly Siddhartha who has become enlightened is reunited with his childhood friend Govinda by the side of the river where Siddhartha had his Satora experience and where he now lives and works as a ferryman. Siddhartha immediately recognizes Govinda, who left Siddhartha many years ago to become a monk, a disciple of the Buddha. But Govinda does not recognize his old friend. Govinda, who realizes that Siddhartha has found that which they both sought as youth. Govinda confesses to Siddhartha that he, Govinda, is still a seeker. He asks Siddhartha for some guidance in his search. Siddhartha tells him, what should I have to tell you, venerable one? Perhaps that you seek overmuch? That you seek so much you do not find? When Govinda, confused, asks Siddhartha to explain what he means, Siddhartha responds, When someone seeks, it can easily happen that his eyes see only the thing he is seeking and that he is incapable of finding anything, incapable of taking anything in because he is always only thinking about what he is seeking, because he has an object, a goal, because he is possessed by this goal. Seeking means having a goal, but finding means being free, open, having no goal. Perhaps you, venerable one, are indeed a seeker, for in striving after your goal, there is much you fail to see that is right before your eyes. So, even for those who would describe themselves as spiritual seekers, and I confess that I count myself as one of them, the goal that we seek, the expected experience of faith or enlightenment or whatever, can blind us to that which is here in the present, the mystery, the transcendent that is right before our eyes.
When I read Siddhartha's words, I think of Jesus' conversation with the rich young man, which we talked about several weeks ago. The rich young man, if you remember, was seeking the kingdom of God. However, he was so intent on finding it that he missed that which was right before his eyes. He missed Jesus. He missed Jesus' personal invitation to him to become a disciple of the way. Our expectations can narrow the range of our vision. They can keep us from discovering and experiencing the fullness of life which is presented to us. Our expectations of people of life can be quite specific. Without knowing it, we can become attached to our expectations. When we are attached to an expectation of life and life does not meet that expectation, we become angry. If our expectation is strong enough and we are strongly attached to our expectation, it may not even occur to us to question whether our expectation is realistic or unrealistic. For example, people who suffer from road rage have an expectation of how traffic will move. They expect the traffic to move at the pace they would like to drive. If other cars are going too slowly or too fast, these people become angry. The expectation that the flow of traffic on the Southeast Expressway will move at the speed we would like it to move seems not only an unrealistic but a narcissistic, perhaps even delusional expectation. Here, as is so often the case with narcissistic people, when their expectations are not realized, they become enraged. This causes suffering for themselves, for passengers in their car, and also danger for fellow drivers. Even if we are not narcissistic people, we may become attached to our expectations. We may not even realize how tight or how narrow our expectations are, or how attached we have become to them. As a general rule, when other people do not meet our expectations, we tend to become annoyed or even angry. When we do not meet our own expectations, we feel guilty. When this happens, our focus on other people or ourselves becomes extremely narrow. With regard to our expectations of ourselves, the expectation or the demand of perfectionism causes us to feel that we have failed in life. It blinds us to the unique person we are and the special gifts that we have to share with the world. I'm sure we can all think of examples of how our expectations cut us off from a loving, compassionate, accepting relationship with others. We may have expectations of each other in our marriages or in our friendship. Some of these expectations may be realistic, but many are probably not. We may have expectations of our children or even our parents. We may have expectations of fellow parishioners within our church. 
Some of these expectations may be realistic, but many probably are not. Remember, it is not so much our expectations, but our attachment to our expectations that causes suffering for us and for those we love. We need to become conscious of our attachment to our expectations, our tight-fisted grasping of them, and then, as the Zen master Charlotte Jokobeck has suggested, see through them, see how narcissistic they are, and gently let them go. Next Sunday is Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is a celebration of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. The people who follow Jesus hail him as the son of David, the king of Israel, the Messiah for which they long. Matthew 21.10 tells us, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, who is this? This question, the question, who is this, speaks to the heart of our faith as Christians. The answer to this question shapes our expectations of Jesus, just as it did for the people of Jerusalem. It puts us squarely in the position of the disciples who were asked this very question by Jesus. Matthew 16, 13 to 15 tells us, quote, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? The disciples said, Some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah, and still other Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Jesus said to them, But who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? As we continue to move through Lent, let us reflect on this question and the events of Holy Week in light of the expectations that the people placed upon Jesus. As we examine how their answer to the question, who is this, shaped their expectations and blinded them to what was right before their eyes, I would like us to see how our expectations can not only obscure our vision, they can lead us to miss the glorious reality of what is revealed in the mysterious presence of our Lord. And this is what exactly what we were talking about this morning in our Bible study group. The Jews of Jesus' time saw him in terms of their expectations. They saw him in terms of their perceived needs. They believed that what they needed was a military religious leader like King David. They hoped that Jesus would lead the uprising against the Roman Empire, which had oppressed and enslaved their people. We can't blame the Jews for seeing Jesus through the lens of their own history. But what if their expectation blinded them to his reality? What if Jesus was different from what they thought and what they hoped? What if he was not the king of the Jews, not the king of Israel, not the Messiah for which they longed? What if he was the son of man and also the son of God? What if he came not to overthrow the Romans, but to show us how to dwell in the kingdom of God. On Palm Sunday, the crowd welcomed Jesus with open arms. As the week unfolded, the more they got to know him, the more they realized 
he was not what they expected. He was not what they felt he needed, what they felt they needed. His kingdom was not of this world. In addition, Jesus was annoying. He saw through people as he sees through us. He admonished the scribes and Pharisees, whom he called hypocrites, whitewashed sepulchres. He confronted people on their values, just as he does with us. He angered the keepers of the temple when he overturned the ta tables of the money lenders. When Jesus failed to meet their expectations, the crowd not only threw him away, they crucified him. Expectations disappointed don't generally lead to a self-reflective examination of our expectations and the burden our expectations place on others. They often turn to hate. This is how Hosanna turned to crucify in such a short period of time. As we enter into Holy Week, let us examine our expectations in an attitude of prayer and humility. Let us examine our expectations of others to see whether they are realistic or not, whether they are compassionate or not, whether they are loving or not. Let us examine our expectations of others to see whether they narrow our line of vision to such an extent that we miss the God-given uniqueness of the other. As we enter into Holy Week, let us examine our expectations of life, how attached we are to these expectations, and how we react when life disappoints us. Let us re-examine our expectations of Jesus, that we might be open to the mystery of his presence. If we can give up our unrealistic or self-centered expectations, we can discover, we can rediscover each other. We can discover or rediscover Jesus in this wonderful, mysterious life that God has given us. Then we will experience the power of the resurrection. Let us pray. Almighty God, you have granted us the gift of life and blessed us with many gifts. The gifts of love and friendship, of compassion, of concern, gifts of discernment. In these moments, we pray for patience. We pray for the gift of self-acceptance and a radical acceptance of others and of life. Help us through this gift to see ourselves, other people, and life more fully. And grant that it will help us see through this to the mystery, the transcendent, your presence within all that is. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.